Renovate is a ministry at Christ Chapel for young adults in Fort Worth, Texas. I'm Michael Coiner, and on today's podcast, we're starting a new series called The Gospel's Antidote, and Robert Newberry will be starting the conversation about how the gospel is an antidote for unworthiness. Enjoy. Welcome on in, guys. My name is Robert Newberry, and bear with me, we're about to get to do something that I've always wanted to do. If you drive a blue Toyota, your lights are on in the garage, and so if you can go take care of your car, that would be great. It's been a little pipe dream of mine, but that's been great. But I'm excited to get to talk to y'all tonight because we are starting a new series that we're getting to dive into called Gospel as the Antidote Two. And what this is gonna be is basically a series where we talk about things that are going on in our day-to-day life, whether it's misplaced values, whether it's desires that we have that are kind of out of sync. And the gospel is gonna be the antidote to those. It's gonna be the fix to where we help get a right vision of what God has for us. And so this week we're specifically talking about the gospel as the antidote to unworthiness. And I'm excited to get to talk about that. But before we get into that, I wanna give y'all a little bit about me because I've only been on stage once. And so if you missed that, you may be wondering like, who is this guy? And so I've been on staff here at Christ Chapel for about four years, did the residency, and then I did middle school ministry um, before coming here on staff in August. And my time in middle school ministry, I can only describe as learning one of the most important things in my life, which is the term uh, catastrophic awkwardness which is what basically every single middle schooler has experienced at some point. And even though that's a term that I just came up with, all of us can think back to one moment in sixth, seventh or eighth grade where we would define it as catastrophic awkwardness, whether it's in sports, whether it's in social life, whether it's in extracurriculars or school or dating relationships, there's gonna be some point in your life where you look back and you're like, oh, I did that. And it hurts to think about. And mine specifically came in the dating realm. Um, I was a 13-year-old boy. Um, You know, I could explain to you what I was like, or I could show you a picture. And so Jeffrey, that, that is me. With front bangs, the tuxedo shirt. Hey, I will have you know, I was first chair tenor saxophone in our wind ensemble band. And so that is an accomplishment. But for some reason, middle schoolers don't look at band accomplishments the same way in terms of social status and value. And so, (laughs) shocking, right? And so I started dating this girl named Jessica um, and Jessica was the head cheerleader on our team uh, at our school. And so, yeah, totally no, way out kicked my coverage. Like it was so bad to the point that when she walked up to her friends at practice the next day and was like, hey, I'm dating Robert Newberry. All of them, to a T, just went, who? (laughs) Like, they didn't even know I existed as a person to be able to have a context to whether they liked me or didn't. And so that was, you know, like, hearing that come back to me about, like, they don't even know I existed was a really good shot to the worth and pride and manliness of, like, oh, yeah, I'm doing good. Um, But so we go on in the relationship, and I hear in the first week that actually her ex-boyfriend, who happened to be our middle linebacker, so that's not a cliche or anything, but he walked up to her in class and literally word for word goes, why are you dating that dork Robert? 
And I was in that class. And so it was worse. It was terrible. But so I was clearly feeling the pressure of like, I have to do something to get this girl to feel like it's valid for her to date me. So I come up with a plan. Her birthday is about a week away. And so I'm like, I'm gonna blow out this birthday. Like I'm gonna do it big. I'm gonna go up, I'm gonna decorate her locker before school, I'm gonna get balloons. Like my next door neighbor was a florist and so I was gonna get like this big old bouquet with like roses and all that stuff in it. And I was gonna do it. I was gonna go for it and I was gonna be like, this'll be it. This'll show her that I deserve to be her boyfriend and show everyone else because that was awful. Um, So I go out, carry out the plan, it's ready to go. But what I forgot to account for was the fact that her birthday party was the weekend beforehand. And so I'm like, oh, how do I work through this? And in my 13-year-old mind, I'm like, oh, I'm just gonna hang back, like not really be a big deal at the birthday party. And that way she won't notice that I don't get her anything and it won't matter to her. So that way when I get to Tuesday on her actual birthday, we're gonna be able to like celebrate this surprise and she's gonna love it. So that was my plan go for it. And I don't bring any backup. Uh, So I go to the party and I think, you know, I'm working the crowd, like I'm being social. Uh, I come to find out my friends lovingly described me that night as, dude, you were following her around like a sad puppy. And I was like, you couldn't have told me that while I was there at the party. Like you couldn't have come up to me as a brother and been like, hey, maybe don't do what you're doing. And that would be better. And so I was like, cool, yeah, this is great. Again, feeling great about my masculinity at this point. And so I get through the birthday party and it gets to the point where she's opening gifts. And she starts opening them one after another and like she's just going about it. And her older cousin walks up to me also in the popular crowd, a high school cheerleader. Um, So you can imagine me as a 13 year old boy basically quivering where I stood trying to talk to her. Uh, So she corners me and she's mad. She's like, where is her present? She's waiting to open her present in front of her boyfriend. What did you get her? And so this is the fork in the road here. Like this is the point in the story where I can either choose option A and say, hey, actually I am planning this big surprise for her on Tuesday. Like I'm gonna decorate her locker, do all this stuff. Is there any way you can cover for me? Smart, right? Or choose to lie and say that I've got something there. I go with the ladder. And so I'm like, oh yeah, I just got it over here. Like, I'm, I just wanted to give it to her in person. So I'm gonna go get that real quick and I'll bring it right over. No big deal. Why? I still don't know. I still don't understand. Could have been so simple, but you know, 13 year old brains and logic don't necessarily go together. So I think I have nothing. I've got my phone, my wallet, I'm not giving her my phone. I'm like, no way. And I've got my wallet, which is a 13 year old, like, great, you've got like a movie pass in there, like big deal. And so I'm like, what do I do? But then I remember, I was gonna spend the night at my friend Will's house that night. And every single time I spent the night at Will's house, his dad was the cool dad. So he took us to Whataburger after 11 o'clock to go get the honey butter chicken biscuits. And so I remember telling my dad, hey, I'm going over to Will's house, can I have some money for Whataburger? And so he gives me $20. So I'm like, huh, I can deal without Whataburger for a night. So I, in my infinite wisdom, take this $20 bill out of my pocket, and as all middle schoolers do, roll it up into that really, really tight tube, and I just walk over to her, look her straight in the eye, place it in her hand, and I'm like, here you go, happy birthday, and I run off. 
I know it's not the greatest present. Even then I knew, but at the same time, I was like, it's 20 bucks. Like if a middle school dude got 20 bucks, he'd be like, great. That's halfway to Halo or any other game that I was going to play. Thank you. Awesome. That simple. It's 20 bucks. It's money. Get whatever you want with it. And so I was like, ah, we'll be okay till Tuesday. So I go throughout the rest of the party. I do it and I'm just hanging with my friends, having a good time. And I go to Will's house, spend the night. My phone ends up dying there and I didn't bring a charger because 13 year olds don't plan ahead. And so I get back to my house, plug in my phone and I see I've got a voicemail from Jessica. And I'm like, heck yeah, she wants to hang out. Like she spent all her time with her friends last night. They had a nice little sleepover. Now she wants some boyfriend time and it's gonna be awesome. And so like I opened my phone, uh, it was one of those Sony Katanas because I wasn't cool enough to get the razor because again, band kid. But um, so I open my phone and like I go to the voicemail and I hear it. I turn it on and this is what I hear. Um, we're over, click. That was how she chose to end it. Y'all, I'm not kidding you when I say that a week later I found out that she made that call on speakerphone in front of every single girl who went to the party that night. And so I was sitting here again, like in shock on the couch with my brother, we were playing Halo and I can almost still feel my lip quiver of when I heard it of being like this, what? No. And I was like, you didn't want to get till Tuesday. Like if we just gotten to Tuesday, it would have been great. And like almost remembering like arguing in my head and y'all like, I would have crushed that surprise. Like just to be honest, like we might still be dating if we would have gotten to that moment. (laughs) because I was about to kill it. Like she doesn't understand, like florist neighbor decorated arrangements. I don't know what they're called for President Bush when he got elected. So like she would have killed it and it would have been awesome. And you know, could have been my wife, but I guess not. And so because of that moment forever on, from that point on, Jessica never said a word to me. Like we went to school together for the next five years and she refused to acknowledge my existence for the entire time in school after that. And so she missed out on this guy, Jeffrey, can you point it up one more time? This guy forever because of $20. So joke's on her. But in that moment, I had this feeling of unworthiness that left me spinning. Y'all, when I walked into a room, like in a classroom after that, the next day at school, like I felt like everyone in the room knew this dirty secret about me. I felt like everyone could see behind the curtain of what I tried to put off as a man and knew the truth that I was just some loser, some dork who wasn't even worth, you know, three weeks of a girl's time. And it cut deep. And I know that none of us have those awkward middle school dating stories anymore, but I also know that that feeling doesn't go away. Like there are times in my life where whether it's in a meeting or whether it's interacting with a friend where either I say or do something. And I almost feel the same wave of emotion come over me. Like, oh my gosh, who even am I? Like, what am I doing here? This unworthiness is such a feeling that just resonates through me whenever I say or do something wrong because all of us throughout our day are going about trying to put our hope in whatever we feel is our highest value. So whether it's relationships, jobs, social lives, wealth, or so many other things, we look to all of those different things to give us a sense of worth because we believe that they're the thing that's gonna satisfy us most. 
But eventually, like me with that voicemail, voicemail breakup, eventually that day comes where we see that crumble. We see the walls come crashing down on what we think we've built this life up to be out of our own accomplishments. And we see just how stuck we are in this feeling of worthlessness. And usually these feelings are kind of divided in two different camps. Um, this feeling of unworthlessness can be packed into two different feelings. The first is that we keep giving our worth away to imperfect things. Like we're actively doing something that we know we shouldn't or we know isn't ever gonna truly satisfy us. We're just wandering. Like whether it's back to trying to live out a performance-based life where we're trying to just stack up accolade after accolade and make ourselves feel accomplished by what we've done, that we just get stuck in the cyclical pattern of trying to reach the next mark, trying to reach the next mark, and we might do it for a while, but eventually we're gonna hit that point where we can't go any higher or we're just not at our best, and it doesn't work out. And here's one thought that I find myself often falling into when I get into this pattern of thinking. If I only could have done this one thing differently, like if only this one thing would have gone a different way, like with Jessica, if she would have just gotten to Tuesday, oh man, she would have seen, she would have seen regardless of the fact that we didn't even know any of the same people or anything else, she would have seen how awesome I would have been. When in reality, I went astray so much farther long ago because I started looking to Jessica as this person who was gonna satisfy me, who was gonna give me my worth and validate that I belonged in a social circle that I didn't even feel like I belonged to. So that's the first camp. The second one is we feel like our worth has been taken from us. Whether it's something that's happened in our past, maybe a relationship where someone was an aggressor and abusive, whether it's a parent who said just hurtful things, even sometimes out of love, but mistakenly, or whether it's bullying or just being harsh. There's so many points in our life where we've been left with some really heavy baggage that at the end of it, no matter what we've done to get out of it, we walk out of it feeling beaten up and broken. And just maybe like there's no hope for us to get back to where we were because how could we? How could we in the face of so much get back to a place where we can feel as valued as we did beforehand because of all the things we went through? And y'all, my heart breaks for that because I've been there on both sides. But the truth of the gospel is that in all situations, no matter which camp you're in, Jesus offers us a worth so much more glorious than we could ever attain on our own or that our past could ever build, build against us. Like Jesus offers us such a glorious truth that we are a son or a daughter of the king. But because life gets tough, sometimes we often lose sight of that. We forget we wander off, we get back stuck in the cyclical pattern, and then we wake up maybe a week, maybe two weeks, maybe three weeks later, and we're stuck in that same spot where we don't know what we're standing for, we don't know where our worth comes from, and we're looking around to everything else around us and trying to think like, oh my gosh, what am I even doing, th do doing here? But because God is so good, because he knows us intimately. He knew that we would struggle with this. And so he gave us three specific promises that are gonna help us in this fight with remembering our worth, 
um, as we go through our life. So if you're a note taker, this is the time to kind of perk up, take notes because we're diving in. And so the first promise that we have is that God will never reject you or forsake you. Um, this one is huge because I know there's so many points in our lives where we think like, oh, surely this is the point where God's gonna turn his back on me. Surely, even if I'm saved, surely this is the point where God finally sees me as who he is or as who I am. And he knows the truth about just how far I've gone. And he's like, you know what? I've had enough. I'm done. But in this, God meets us so beautifully in it um, because in his scripture, specifically in Joshua 1.5, can we throw that up on the screen? He gives a promise to Joshua as he commissions him. And it says, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Oh man, guys, like that promise, that end, specifically, I will not leave you or forsake you. I don't know if you've ever felt alone or out there, but that just puts the wind in your sails. Like that was God's promise to Joshua, which we now receive in the same way, but even fuller because God not only gives us his promise that he'll be with us, but he promises to come and meet us where we're at and send his spirit to help us and guide us through every single step of our life. And because I wanna show you that God didn't, doesn't change his promise from Old Testament to new, we're gonna look at Matthew 28, 20, which says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And this is when Jesus is commissioning his disciples to go out. And they're gonna go out and they're gonna go and do some really hard stuff. They're gonna see some really hard things. And Jesus knows that the most comforting thing that he can give them is the promise and assurance that he will be with them every single step of the way, which is exactly what he offers to you and me. And I know we think that and we think, okay, like I get it. God doesn't wanna forsake us. God doesn't wanna give up on us. But if I'm honest, I believe that there are times in my life where God sees me through rose-colored glasses. And what I mean by that is that God only sees the best part of me. That God saved me, and because he's all-knowing, he sees what I'm gonna become, and he loves this future version of me. And, you know, I don't know if I'm gonna get there. And so in that, I believe that God sees me in a way better than I actually am. But if I keep sinning long enough, God's gonna finally wise up. God's gonna finally see that I'm broken and he's gonna get tired of it and he's gonna wanna walk away. But that's not who God is. Our God is not in the business of giving up. Our God is not in the business of being one who goes back on what he promises. The entire scriptures are filled with God being faithful even when we aren't. It's God's story of him saying, I'm going to give you my best even when you don't want it. I'm going to be good to you even when you try and push me away. That's who our God is. And if you think that he truly doesn't know who you are, I challenge you, read through Psalm 139. The first part of that Psalm is saying, so you search me and you know me. The entire Psalm is talking about how intimately our God knows us. So go through it, see just the lengths that our God went to, to know exactly who you are. So the first point is that God will never reject you. The second point is that God isn't just tolerating you. God doesn't just tolerate you. He rejoices in you. Second Corinthians 5.21 
says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. And Hebrews 12, two says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So let me unpack these two verses a little bit. The first one, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. It says, for our sake, first off, right off the beginning, God is saying, for you, Robert, for you, I made Jesus to be the physical embodiment of your sin punishment, who knew no sin. By the way, he was perfect, and I still chose him to follow through this, so that in him, you might become the righteousness that he has. And so God's will was to send Jesus as the sacrifice for my sin so that way he would know forever that he loves me enough to give up his own son. And then we know that it was out of joy because in Hebrews 12 too, it says, Jesus, for the joy set before him. What was that joy? That joy was for him to do the father's will, which was to unite us back into relationship with him. And so we get to see that Jesus had this overwhelming sense of joy in this face of suffering, that if he saw the opportunity to unite you and him from a far off place and bring you close together, oh, that was what he wanted to do. He couldn't wait. And so that's how we know that he rejoices over us, is that he went to such incredible lengths in suffering and he did it joyfully for you and me. Like, he doesn't regret it one bit. Like, I know there's this thought in our head so many times where it's like, yeah, 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 I know Jesus saved me. Like, I know he died for my sin. I know he made that sacrifice, but that was in the past. Like, he died for my sin so that I would know him. Now I do, and I'm still stuck. Now I still know him. Like, I've done this whole Jesus thing, and I'm still kind of in this place where I just keep getting it wrong. So is God tired of me? Is God frustrated by me? Like, no. God doesn't have buyer's remorse about you. God doesn't look on you and now all of a sudden, oh, surprise, he sees who you really are. Like, that's not who he is. He knew you from before the foundation of time. And so in that, he knew everything you were gonna get into. Like, God knew we were gonna be messy. God knew that I was gonna be a really awkward 13-year-old and make a girl so mad she broke up with me over voicemail. Like God knew, God knew every single time that I walk into a meeting with Ben and Tyler and I'm in there sitting on their side of the table asking people interview questions in a residency that I struggle so much with feeling like I, am, I belong in that room that if I don't hear one of them compliment me on a good question that I ask, I start doubting if I should even be in ministry. Like God knew we would be messy. He knew all along that we were gonna continue to struggle and get it wrong and mess up. But that didn't even make him hesitate to send Jesus to the cross. He didn't even bat an eye because that's how good our God is. He knew what he was doing all along. I mean, John 3, 16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. It's not that he said, for God kind of loved the world. 
I thought he said God even mostly loved the world. He said, for God so loved the world, for God so loved you and I, that he sent his son to the cross joyfully in the hope and in the promise of knowing that it would bring a right relationship between us and him again. And so that's what we get to cling to when we feel like we're, we're not where we're supposed to be. He's not just tolerating you. He doesn't regret what he did. He's incredibly joyful about the fact that you are in relationship with him if you're in Christ. That's what we get to celebrate. So that's the second point. And the last one and final one is that God isn't done with you. And what do I mean by that? If you're like me and you've been in the faith for a while, like you're doing the whole Jesus thing, like you're walking, you're in community group, you're going through life, you're spending time in God's community, you're having your quiet times, you know, whatever it is, checking all the boxes, being in a coffee shop, drinking five lattes, whatever you gotta do. You're doing the Jesus thing. But yet you look up one day and you're like, God, I don't feel different. Is this it? Am I going to be the same guy for the rest of my life? Like, am I gonna have the same lusts? Am I gonna have the same struggles? Am I gonna have the same fight with pride every single day for the rest of my life? Is this, is this it? Like, are you asleep at the wheel? Did you save me and then leave me to my, on my own? He didn't. He didn't because we get a promise in Romans 8, 37 through 39, that says this. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Man, more than conquerors. Like that just blows me away. The promise that God has to make us into something more than we could even possibly imagine is something that I don't even have a framework for what I can imagine that would be like. Because I'm over here as the guy who wakes up every single morning and it's a fight to get in the word. Like I would so much rather, and my roommates can attest to this, I would so much rather roll out of bed, make a big old omelet and watch Netflix. Like, oh, come on y'all. The office early morning, that's the real stuff. Like, come, fine, you choose your show, whatever you like, but the office is mine. Um, but it is just this real battle each and every day. And in that, when I'm stuck in that pattern, it's hard for me to imagine that God's gonna make me into something else. It's hard for me to start to picture, God, do you truly have good things in line for my life? Because I feel each and every day like it's a fight and I feel like I'm going back to the same place over and over and over and over and over again. But God isn't just the one who saves you and then leaves you to your own devices. He's not the one who's just a participant in your life. God, by sending his spirit to be with us every single second of every day, know our inmost thoughts, know our inmost patterns, isn't just a participant. He's the one who's invested in our life. He isn't just saving us and then leaving us. God is intimately and actively involved 
in each and every portion of our life so that way when we go through those times where we hit a wall and we feel like everything's crumbling around us, he's right there with us. He's the one who it all wraps around. Because here's the truth behind all of it. All this time we're talking about, man, if I was truly known, would I be loved? If I was truly known, would you really accept me? Like, if you saw even the inmost darkest parts of me, would you still stick around? Am I worth the time? The truth behind all of it is outside of Jesus Christ, there isn't a guarantee. There is no promise that we're going to get better. There is no promise that we're going to move on. And so that question of, is it really that bad behind the curtain? It might be. I know it is for me. Behind the curtain, left to my own devices, I don't trust myself to get through a single day without struggling with pride, without struggling with lust. I don't, because I know the depravity of my own heart. We struggle each and every day to fight to choose Jesus. In the end of it all, he's the only one who can offer a promise to love us, to know us completely, to be with us, to rejoice over us, and to continue to work in us despite even our own best efforts. And so if you're in this room and you don't know this Jesus that I'm talking about, and you felt this feeling of emptiness in your life, and you felt this feeling where, man, maybe I don't have it figured out. At the end of the day, what can I hang my hat on? I know he's better at this. I know he's more social. I know he's more talented. What do I have going for me? Man, I challenge you. I pray that tonight you would look at what it looks like to have a relationship with Jesus Christ because he's the only one who can offer you that peace. He's the only one who can offer to fully know you and fully love you. Because outside of that, there's no guarantees that what you've done isn't gonna hurt someone else. But Jesus already took all of your worst doings and put it on himself. So that way now, seeing you fully, he invites you to come and be loved. And if you know him, you get this promise that he offers all of us who are in Christ Jesus, which is Paul writing to his people saying, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. That means that no matter where you are at right now, if you feel stuck in the pit and you feel like there's nothing going for you, like you just got fired from your job, you're on rocky terms with your family and you can't even think of a way to walk forward, there's a promise that Jesus gives you right here that says, I will do the work. I will finish what I started. I'm not going to abandon you. I don't care what anyone else says. I'm the one who's strong enough. I'm the one who's loving enough. I'm the one who's compassionate enough to take every bit of your brokenness, see it fully, know it fully, but then love it fully. May we be a people who trust in these promises in our times of wandering.
that as the storms, as the seas hit in our daily life, may we truly embrace the promises that Jesus knows us, that he will never forsake us, that he will never just tolerate us, that he rejoices over us, and that he will continue to work in us. Let's pray. Father, we love you, God. And as a completely inadequate people, as a people who have no right to come before you, God, we are blown away that you would choose to love us. God, that you would choose to look down on us in our brokenness in the very pit of our worst acts or in the very pit of brokenness that's been done to us and in our feelings of being incapable of redemption. And you would say, no, 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 no. I'm the one who fixes. I'm the one who heals. And I will do it in your life. Trust me, walk with me. Father, may we trust you. May we be a people who continually rejoices over the fact that you have given us promises that you will never leave us. God, that no matter how far we run, we can't outrun you. No matter how far we stray, you rejoice over us as a son and daughter. God, may we be a people who trust you to finish the work you started, that you are the one who accomplishes your task, that you have never failed, you've never missed a deadline. You are the one who can bring true healing in our life. May we trust in that. Father, we love you and we give you all the glory and we thank you for what your son did on the cross and uniting us in relationship with you. And it's in his holy and perfect name that we pray. Amen. We hope the sermon was a blessing to you. We hear so many times in life that we search for our worthiness in so many places that are never meant to hold that for us. Whether it's our competency or whether it's our accolades that we've gained in the past, there's so many ways where we find our worthiness outside of Jesus Christ. But the problem with that is there's always going to be someone who's better or there's eventually going to come a point in our life where it lets us down. And so we discover that all these things that we placed our hope in are failing us. And we begin to lose hold of who we truly are because we've placed it in things that were never meant to hold it for us. But what we see in scripture is that Jesus is the one who gives us our worthiness because of what he did on the cross. And then his promise to make us into a new creation, which he guaranteed. And so when we're struggling, may we remember like Hebrews 4.16 says, that we have a confidence to draw near to the throne of grace, that we may find mercy and grace in our time of need. And so when we are struggling and doubting, may we know that Jesus is the one who gives us our worth and that he secured that so it can never be taken from us. And so if you're struggling with that, if you ever want to talk about that, reach out to us at renovateftw.org or on social media at renovateftw. And we would love to meet up with you. But that's all for now, and we hope to see you next week.